Hi, I'm Chris Craft, and I'm a career queer. This week, I have Karina Basso with me. Karina is a writer, editor, aspiring blogger, and full-time Virgo. Hello, Karina. Hi, Chris. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for joining me again. I'm always down to hang out in your basement. Yes. Drink some beers. Yes. The first time Karina and I recorded this episode, we had an amazing conversation. And of course, I lost half of it in the audio recording. Boo. So this is the second time that we are having this discussion, but I know that from all the other times I've talked to Karina, I'm sure it'll be just as magical. We're going to recreate that magic for you right here, right now. Yes. In this Chili's tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a quote from a movie? It's from The Office. Ah, yes. And I feel love in this Chili's tonight. (laughs) I mean, you have to feel something in a Chili's because like... It's not that spicy. I have not gotten back since I was a child, and I don't want to because I have a feeling any experience I have now, it will ruin it. In comparison, yeah. it won't. It won't be the same. I just want my memories of those chicken tenders and time with my dad. That's all I want. I love it. So, Karina, before we kick off this week's discussion, I want to ask you: How do you get to work? How do I get to work? So, previously, got to work in a car, fifteen-minute drive. Now, I get up, I take a detour to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Um, I quick stop in the kitchen to get my coffee. And then I sit in the dining room at what was previously our dining room table, but is now my desk. Wait, so you have a roommate? Yes, I do, Caroline. Yeah, is her desk in the back? Yes. Is that where she's like been banned? Relegated. 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 when we were both working from home, yes, but after about a month and a half, they recalled her to the office. So oh, that's she's, right. she's gone during the day. So now the cats are very sad and asking for twice the attention because I am the only mother at home. Yeah. So how have you been dealing with that sense of isolation at home? Like, how's that been treating you? I have just, you know, trying to find, I don't want to say creative, but definitely trying to find ways to feel like I'm still working with other people, whether that's having a video open and co-working, whether it's actually having somebody come over and co-work with me in the backyard, or even just having things planned uh, to see friends after I'm done working. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, one, have a routine, but also have check-ins during the day with other people. Yeah, I think that... You know, we get so used to working in environments with other people that this whole coronavirus and a lot of people working from home has been such a change for so many people in that way. It really has. Okay. Before we get started with this episode, I want to make sure that people know that we are going to be talking about spoilers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe all the way through Far From Home. A lot of the production ideas for this podcast happened during the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States, which is currently still happening. I have no idea when it's going to end. Probably never. Some states and political figures like to pretend it's not happening anymore. Yes. um, We believe that the coronavirus is still happening 
It is July. <laughs> I really don't think we're going to see the end of it until 2021. I know. <laughs> but the show must go on. And so anyways, during that time, my partner and I have started watching the Marvel movies in order. A lot of people have been doing this. It's a great way to do some self-care. And I would say that we've really been pacing ourselves through them. That's not been my choice, weirdly enough. It's been my partner who's been forcing us to pace ourselves. He really wants you to savor it. No, I think I'm way more into it than he is. So he just needs like some space in between or? Yeah, well, he's so first of all, he's not really a big movie person. He's all and like, you know that I'm a really big movie person. Mm -hmm. I think that that's like a part of my personality. I just love going to the movies. I love going to movie theaters. I am really upset that that is not a part of my life, but it is okay. I will survive. The Marvel Cinematic Universe actually has a ton to chew on in terms of individual growth during adversity, management, and teamwork. Karina and I will break down this topic over a few different episodes over the course of this first season, but we'll start with an overview of superheroes' appeal in general, and then we want to look more closely at Peter Parker, Tony Stark, and their relationship as a mentor-mentee. Fun fact, y'all. Tony Stark is a career queer. Yes. He is canonically bisexual, baby. Why would he confine himself to just one gender when he could have all of them? Right. Um, I just love the way that Robert Downey Jr. plays him because Tony is very masculine, but he also has a very like flirtatious energy around him, especially in his interactions with the Hulk. Bruce, Bruce Banner. Yes. I was going to say, he's very... Not um, the Hulk as a person. <laughs> can anyone really be flirtatious with the Hulk? Mish mash. Karina, I want to start with, why do you think superhero stories are so powerful? So in my opinion, I think superhero stories are our modern day mythology. You know, you think about epic heroes, Beowulf, Hercules, um... Odysseus, Perseus, I mean, the list goes on and on. And these were literally supermen. You know, they had either extreme courage, extreme strength, other abilities that made them special and made them able to go off and fight monsters and defend people and complete these impossible tasks. Yeah. And so for us, I think that much like what mythology has done for people for millennia, for us to have these stories of people with incredible powers and incredible drive to use those powers for good allows us to have, I don't want to say quite role models, but definitely inspirations. Yeah, like they call us to be more than ourselves. Yes. Um, you'll hear this. Um, okay, first of all, full disclosure, I love Batman. I am not a fan always of Batman fans. I know we're going to sidebar just a little bit to DC for a second. Yes. Because one of the things you hear very often, are <laughs> they'll say, if I had as much money, I could be Batman. <laughs> and it's like, no, actually you couldn't. But it's this, it, there is that mythology behind it is, if I just had enough money, I could do this. And it's not true because it, that would be like saying, if I had just enough money, I could be Iron Man. I've heard that about Batman so much. Is mm-hmm. that because like, He doesn't have some sort of special superpower, but like he has this grit and drive. You also can't deny that like he, well, 
So I'm not familiar with the comics. I am only familiar with movie versions of superheroes. But, like, in Batman Begins, Christian Bale, playing Batman, goes into the mountains and, like, has to learn really intense fighting styles. And that is true. Um, Basically, I think around his teen years in the comics, Bruce Wayne leaves Gotham and goes. um, Part of it, he does... Uh, train with Rachel Ghoul. He goes all over the world, not only learning different fighting styles, but learning detective techniques, learning forensics, learning how to um, escape different like handcuffs, like from a magician, that kind of stuff. Um, languages, know so many languages. Right. Um, and on top of that, also had to learn how to run his business, although much like another superhero we know. Um, does relegate the day-to-day to to somebody else so that he can go and play Batman. Right. So I feel like to just say that Batman is just a guy in a suit takes away all of the hard work and all of the skill set building that he also had to do. It is. It's, um, it really does devalue all the work that he's put into it. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I get it on one hand, yes, it, he is a very inspiring figure that we could be like, wow, he did all of this and he has no powers. Right. And yet he's able to stand toe to toe with Superman. Right. But on the other hand, just some stupid geek boys take it too far mm-hmm. and are just like, I could do that if I wanted to. You cannot, in fact. No, because it's sort of like, then why don't you? It Like learning languages, at least right now, is very cheap. Mm-hmm. Are you in the best shape of your life? I am not in Christian Bale shape. That guy has some problems. Understatement of the century. I think the same is like for Tony Stark. Like he's incredibly fit, but also incredibly, incredibly smart. He's so intelligent. Like he is actually a genius. Right. It, it would be, again, it would be wrong to say, oh, I could do that if I had money. It's like, no, could you build a suit that not only like could help you fight crime, but sustained you through life when you almost died? Yeah, and the fact that he built it, the first prototype, when he was a prisoner of war mm-hmm. in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and working with, and someone else, mind you, did help him with it. But Absolutely. the fact that these two these two guys are stuck there under a lot of pressure, and also they're working this on the side while building a weapon for the people who have them captive. Right. So no, in fact, you could not just do what Tony Stark did. Right. Because it's almost like it's all made up. <gasps> no. <laughs> but there are some, there are a lot of characteristics about superheroes that are not made up. And that is something about how they truly inspire us and like make us want to be better. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we can talk about too is that a lot of superheroes fall into different Jungian archetypes. Each of these figures is some kind of more than just an individual, but they represent some, something far bigger. And they some of them just touch us in different ways and we connect to them in different ways. Yeah. There's some that we're just drawn to and some that we're absolutely not drawn to. I'll admit it. I was definitely at first not drawn to Tony Stark. He has grown on me so much that now I'm like... That's my son. (laughs) (laughs) My partner's favorite superhero is Spider-Man. And his story arc, I think, is incredibly inspiring because you have this scrawny, nerdy, awkward kid from Queens who is played pretty, pretty good by Tom Holland. Um, Disagree. He did a great job. He did do a great job. So you have this kid from Queens who 
by accident has stumbled into his superhuman powers. And he has to deal with this whole thing of what do I do now? And what I really appreciate about the Marvel Cinematic Universe doing is that they really don't focus on that story of him getting the spider bite and like super ruminating over like, why do I have these powers? And they kind of jump straight into how Tony Stark finds him, which is where he's already seeing that he has a duty to use these powers for good and for something beyond himself. Why are you doing this? I gotta know, what's your MO? What gets you out of that twin bed in the morning? Because... Because I've been me my whole life, and I've had these powers for six months. Mm -hmm. I read books, I build computers. And, and yeah, I would love to play football, but I, I couldn't then, so I shouldn't now. Sure, because you're different. Exactly. But I can't tell anybody that, so I'm not. Look, when you can do the things that I can, but you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. So you want to look out for the little guy, you want to do your part, make the world a better place, all that, right? Yeah, 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 just looking out for the little guy. So what I find really inspiring about that, Peter Parker basically saw a need that his neighborhood needed somebody who was going to jump in and save people and just do general good the area. I don't want to say general good in the neighborhood. <laughs> well, he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. This is true. And he kind of steps up without anyone asking him because he sees that he has the ability to step up. Through that, he's also handed a series of situations that are much less than ideal. Karina, have you ever had a work situation like that where you felt that you had to step into something that no one asked you to do? Yeah. Um, a few years ago, my boss, who was a terrible boss, but who had been around since the inception of the magazine, quit. And one of the editors from the other magazine came over and ended up becoming the managing editor. And I have a really great work relationship with him now. He's my boss. That's awesome. But definitely, I was suddenly, well, Karina, he's your boss, but you're the one with all the industry knowledge now. Mm -hmm. So part of it was, I don't say, I, I don't want to say that I had to train him, but definitely when there was a lot of questions of, is this correct? I felt a lot of pressure to be like, yeah, no, no, that is correct. And be firm in my decision, at least until he got time to catch up with the industry knowledge. Yeah, I think that that's really common to have to be in a position where you have to train your manager. Yeah. And it's the super weird relationship but what was the outcome of that? It sounds like it was really positive. It was really positive. At the end, yes, he is my manager. Yes, he is my boss. I think what ended up happening through that, based on both of our personalities and just the needs of the magazines, I would say we're more like co-managing the magazine and we are both equal stakes partners yeah. in it. And that has been really good. That was a very big shift for me from my previous boss. Um, it felt really good to be listened to and actually had my have my advice taken seriously. Yeah, I definitely also experienced that during the one time that I have trained a manager is that I felt like the outcome was that she inherently trusted me more mm -hmm. than I feel like other managers have trusted me. She also saw me more as a colleague rather yes. than as somebody who she had to like 
keep her thumb on. Yes. Which enabled me to do my best work. Yeah, I will say when you have someone who's technically your superior, but who treats you as a peer. Yes. And also gives you the room to be, if you're someone who likes this, to be self-driven, self-directed. You do. You want to be your best for yourself, but also for them. Yeah. And you get more creative because you're like, hey, I want to do this thing. And they're like, sure, if you want to do it. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of room. I mean, there's also a huge responsibility. Yeah. As Uncle Ben did say, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Listen, you know I'm just going to keep doing this this whole episode. This is literally what I have you here for. It's true. So kind of going back to that boss that maybe wasn't so great, what was that work situation where somebody handed you something that was less than ideal? I think that there were several times where we were short on copy for a magazine. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, my old boss would call me up and be like, Karina, I don't have time for this. Write something up right now. And copy is like articles? It can be articles. It can be news items it can be a lot of different things but yeah sometimes we'd be like call people around and see what information you can get most of the time we write or we edit articles that are academic and research heavy Mm -hmm. every once in a while we'll do ones that are very have a journalistic bent so okay um it it's kind of daunting and scary where you're told we didn't sell enough ads or this article dropped out so now we have to fill it yeah and with so little turnaround it's not really like you're kind of getting it thrown into the deep end without getting the kind of training that you need yes and that was pretty much the first two years at this job just felt especially my first (laughs) did i tell you the story of my first week actually this was definitely this is actually a better example of that i started work on a wednesday that friday they shipped me off to orlando for a trade show with a bunch of other that are just it was a trade show for pharmaceutical scientists and pharmaceutical companies i knew nothing about the industry Mm -hmm. i was hired because i was an editor and writer who could pick up on technical stuff pretty quickly um and was like you'll get to know it (laughs) but yeah two days in the office third day they shipped me off to orlando for a week and suddenly i am having to go around and talk to our advertisers and talk to different um, representatives and ask them to write things for us um, yeah. go out to dinner and schmooze our advertisers and it was so anxiety inducing because I had no clue what I was doing right this is like a classic like you got thrown into the deep end you're totally in over your head and you somehow have to like flounder your way through it yeah I got a really great compliment from Vicky, who is one of the uh, editors on one of the other magazines. Mm-hmm. And she said, because I told her, I was like, Vicky, I'm losing it. I'm losing it out there. I just looked so terrible. She's like, well, then you must be a duck because you look really smooth on top. Looks like nothing's happening, but you're kicking your little legs underneath the water. <laughs> I was like, well, as long as I look like I'm not absolutely trying not to drown here, I'll take it. Well, yeah, like that's a classic, like pretend like you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Ask a lot of questions. And let other people do as much shocking as possible. So kind of getting into that, though. I mean, in Captain America Civil War, we see Tony Stark giving Peter Parker, Spider-Man, a great high-tech suit that Peter Parker is just absolutely impressed with. But then after the events of Civil War, where Peter Parker kind of just gets sent home and then Happy's overseeing him with little to zero interactions with Tony Stark... 
And Peter Parker is just like, I just want to be useful and I just want to help people. And then he finds out that on top of not getting the attention that he kind of needs and wants from his new mentor, he's also found out that his mentor has put a training wheels program on him. Karina, can you talk a little bit more about what we could learn from that sort of interaction between Tony Stark and Peter Parker during this arc of the series? just want to touch a little bit on even just the origins of the two and how that really sets a tone for the <laughs> miscommunication between the two of them. Yes. One, obviously, you got this, like you mentioned before, a, squ- a scrawny kid from Queens. He's an orphan living with his aunt. And he's just a tiny little nerd. He got these powers and he's decided he's going to protect his local area. Like he is pretty much just in Queens and there's plenty to keep him busy there. There's He's, plenty of buses and plenty of old ladies in Queens. Exactly. And he very much kind of evokes that folk hero of not maybe not Robin Hood, but that idea of he is a hero to this local area. He's not looking to be a big hero like Tony. Yeah. Tony drags him into the world stage of Yes of uh superheroing yeah when he drags them into that fight on the tarmac yeah with and the other with the avengers and you see that at the beginning of homecoming where you see like peter parker's like home videos <laughs> where he's like i just caught captain america's shield, shield and i just did this and like it's so like oh yeah yeah, you would be like that because we'd all be like that if we suddenly oh, gosh, were like yeah. in some weird fight that we didn't really understand what was going on. Right, right. So I, I totally, he is so incredibly real to me in these moments. So Peter, you know, in meeting his heroes and being dragged into the world stage is now suddenly gone from being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. yeah to now having faced off with the Avengers. And so, yeah, like you said, he was dragged into this. Um, He's been given a suit by Tony Mm -hmm. and told like, hey, you get to do this now. Oh, oh, but wait, you have to do it my way. Yeah. Even though Peter has been doing okay on his own. And that's not to say he doesn't need guidance or a mentor. But then Tony puts a lot of restrictions on him, one with the training protocol, um, but also the different monitoring Yes. But then at the same time, so he has all of that. But then at the same time, he just leaves Peter high and dry. Doesn't like Peter's trying to get in contact with him and can't. He's trying to get in contact with Happy through most of Homecoming and can't. Right. Um, They really just write him off when he really has something important to tell them. And so he's very frustrated because on one hand, he feels like he's being in some ways over supervised. And in other ways, Tony's way too hands off. Right. And I think that that's such a great analogy for how managers can be. Because if you think about the situation in Homecoming where Peter Parker discovers a situation with, in my head, I don't, it's Birdman, but like Mothman. Oh, no, it's uh, the Vulture. The Vulture. But like, that guy also played in the Birdman movie, right? Yes, he did, which was... (laughs) A parody on Batman, which he also played back in the day. He's in a lot of movies. Yeah, because that was Michael Keaton, wasn't it? Yes, it was yeah, Michael it was. Keaton. Yeah. Michael Keaton was also the snowman in Jack Frost. I forgot about that. 
but the snowman looks like George Clooney because they designed everything to be done by George Clooney and then George Clooney backed out of the project. I was not aware of any of that. And I saw Jack Frost three times in theaters as a kid. Yeah, that's a great movie for kids. Oh, yeah. So the movie Jack Frost is the movie that taught me that it was um, like imperative to cry at the song Landslide. Yeah. I, don't, I, I instinctively don't trust people who do not cry while listening to landslide so um anyways so the reason why peter gets in trouble on the ship that tony has to like later clean up it's kind of already tony's fault because peter didn't think that tony was taking the issue seriously and peter thought that he had to do something even though tony had called the fbi and because tony in a typical crappy manager move did not share information with his employee or his mentee that the mentee could have really used to better inform their choices. That is what led to a ferry being zapped apart in the middle of New York Harbor. Previously on Peter Screws the Pooch, I tell you to stay away from this. Instead, you hacked a multi-million dollar suit so you could sneak around behind my back doing the one thing I told you not to do. Is everyone okay? No thanks to you. No thanks to me? Those weapons were out there and I tried to tell you about it, but you didn't listen. None of this would have happened if you had just listened to me. <laughs> if you even cared, you'd actually be here. I did listen, kid. Who do you think called the FBI, huh? Do you know that I was the only one who believed in you? Everyone else said I was crazy to recruit a 14-year-old kid. I'm 15. No, this is where you zip it, all right? The adult is talking. What if somebody had died tonight? Different story, right? Because that's on you. And if you died, I feel like that's on me. I don't need that on my conscience. Yes, sir. I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. I understand. That whole scene is always really heartbreaking to me because you see Peter trying so so hard to make it right and trying so hard to just you see him going back and forth and doing all the webs and doing the ah, where he's holding both halves together you were 99 percent successful <laughs> i just i'm just so it, it breaks my heart that whole scene really breaks my heart it totally breaks your heart because tony is just rips him to shreds afterwards oh, God. so if you manage people what do you think we can learn from the situation about like giving our employees the tools that they ask for giving employee and like listening to them when they say that there's an issue and trusting them that they want to do the right thing and trusting them with information um, so that they can make the right decisions and also i think and we see this modeled with tony and peter that just because one way works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for your mentee Yes. And you see that where Tony's like, I gave you the suit. I gave you all the tools to succeed. Why aren't you doing it, Peter? Right. Another way to think about it is that Peter is a small startup company. Mm. And all of a sudden, this big corporate. Comes in and it's like, so we're going to start doing things my way. Yeah. And little startup Peter is like. Listen, I'm not a Fortune 500 company. Right. <laughs> I am I am just 
the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and I'm trying to do things my way and I'm getting my ass kicked because I've now been thrust into a world where the stakes are higher Yeah. Um, with no training mm-hmm. or little to no training mm-hmm. um, and I'm expected to follow these corporate rules that I didn't have to follow before. Yeah, when Peter was just doing his own thing with his own crappy suit, he was really, really happy. He was. Because he was just doing what he felt in his heart was right and doing good work. By giving him the, like, super sexy suit and the super, like, high-tech gear, I mean, you just see him struggling with it. In Homecoming, um, you see him trying to figure out what his different shooters do. He's really struggling with it because, like, he accidentally, like, tases himself. Yes. And then, like, he accidentally enacts kill mode. And he's like, wait, why would I even need that? I love that that happens again <laughs> later on with the when he has uh, the glasses in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's it really isn't until he's forced to be in that hangar overnight and actually has time mm-hmm. to actually test out the suit and figure out what it can and can't do yeah that he actually learns how to use it but even after all of that at the end he beats the vulture using his shitty ass suit yeah the og spider-man suit that he clearly just put together from like bargain bin fabric and got some like scuba goggles <laughs> right because much like a startup or much like an employee who isn't given any resources um, or much like when you're like starting off a new project, like you're just cobbling things together. And yeah, you may not deal with your battles in the most elegant or effective ways, but you're still going to like overcome your different obstacles. Right. Um, Or even when you fail, you do get an opportunity to try again. It's true. And I think, you know, just to give, Tony a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. He, for him, giving this kid a suit was a way to protect him. Absolutely. But he didn't realize that, you know, Peter was already super without the suit. And the suit could have been a great addition. It could have been a great support. But in so many ways, especially without the proper training, it really just held him back. Peter would have loved to have been trained on that suit. He really would have. The suit wasn't training him, and Tony wasn't taking the time to train him either. Even though you have great intentions, was Tony ever planning on taking those training wheels off? I don't think that it's that he didn't care. I think he really thought, like, either this suit is good enough that he'll figure it out, it's intuitive enough, or he just never thought that he was going to have to train Peter. In even another world, maybe he thought, yeah, I'm going to take the time, I'm going to really mentor this kid. I'm going to be the dad to him that I wish I would have had. Because you kind of, like, he does acknowledge that, like, he is enacting some of his own, like, daddy issues. Yes. Out on Peter. And so he I, doesn't really get to that, though, until, like, the end of Homecoming, really. Like, absolutely. And so when he comes into it, I think, in so many ways, Peter looked at him and said, Hi, new dad. And yeah. Tony wasn't prepared for that. I don't think Tony that was not the kind of relationship he was looking for when he took on Peter. He should have kind of expected it, though, when you had a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean, and a 16-year-old kid who kind of lacks that father figure in his life. Right. Or Like, because he has his Aunt May who's doing a great job. Right. But um, I think that I can definitely see how he's struggling with that. Um, and you really do see how Tony does end up 
begrudgingly trusting him a little bit more Mm -hmm. as like time goes on because yeah then you have infinity war um peter parker accidentally maybe not so accidentally ends up on the alien spaceship and tony actually needs him yeah to save dr strange yeah and then you also see when that all goes belly up how tony is so bereft that he got peter killed because in his opinion he's like i got peter killed yeah Um, he's grieving it he's grieving it Another thing to mention is at the end of Homecoming, that moment where he's going to introduce Peter as the new Avenger. Yes. Um, And then Peter backs out. He's like, you know what? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to keep the suit and I'm just going to go, you know? Yeah. And, and the thing is, the whole time, there was a part of it where I was like, Tony's faking. There's no way he has like a whole press conference back there. Right. And then it turns out he does. And that's when him and Pepper get engaged. engaged. <laughs> Which I totally love because he's like, well, <laughs> and then Happy's like, I have the ring. <laughs> um, but I love that because it shows that, you know, because Peter's like, this was a test, right? And it's like, uh-huh. Because, <laughs> like, you don't want him to, like, back out from a decision that he made from the heart. Right. And I think also that's a way I think sometimes bosses and managers give give your employees opportunities but sometimes they may not be ready sometimes they're gonna say you know what i'm still kind of getting the basics down i don't know that i can take that project on yeah so as an employee how do you like what advice would you give to people to help navigate that space between really trying to stretch yourself and really go after that moonshot but also being honest enough with yourself to know when do you need help And how are you, like, going to go after that help? Once I got my, the, so the magazine is broken up into articles and then these smaller focus sections and news sections. When I first started, I was just in charge of these news sections and these product sections. Then once I got, um, I was more knowledgeable and I was able to get through my own work more efficiently, I had time on my hands and I said, hey, I would like to take on editing a full article. So in that way, I was stretching myself because I said, this is what I want to do. I don't just want to be stuck doing these smaller projects. I would like to actually contribute and learn how to edit these larger articles and to work with authors one-on-one to get these articles where they need to be. Yeah. Um, But yeah, at the same time, there have been times where I've gotten articles and I am struggling either. Either my anxiety is holding me back and I can't even look at the document Um, Or I've been looking at the document and I'm like, there's something wrong here. Something's not jiving, but I just can't get it to where I need, where I want it to be, Mm -hmm. where I know that it needs to be. Yeah. And in those moments, just going to your boss, um, I'm, again, I can do that more easily now with my current boss. Yeah. But just saying, hey, I am so in, I don't want to say in over my head. I'm so in my head about this project I could use some help. I could use an outside perspective or even asking for an extension if you can. Yeah. Um, And just being it's it's hard because it's you have to be vulnerable and you need to admit Mm -hmm. that maybe you bit off more than you can chew Mm -hmm. or at the very least that you need some kind of guidance. And if you have a boss who's willing to give that to you, it's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
um, you feel really supported. I know I do in these moments. But it is, it really does take a balance between the two of you. You have to be willing to stretch yourself, but also willing to ask for assistance and your boss has to be willing to give it to you. So kind of going back to that key boat scene in Homecoming, where Peter is in his head, in over his head, instead of Tony coming in and just fixing the situation, which is a very like power move thing that a lot of people will do where they, instead of teaching you how to fix the situation, they'll just fix it for you. And you see how Tony and Peter both do not benefit from that interaction. Tony's upset because he felt like he had to come in and fix this problem. But wouldn't have it been so much better if instead of taking over, he worked with Peter to solve the problem, therefore empowering Peter, but also then Tony is like mentoring and teaching in that situation as well. Right. And um, actually, we were talking about this right before the episode started. Sometimes you need to struggle with something a little bit in order to learn how to work. Yeah. In order to how to make it work. Um, and that's not to say that you can't have assistance, but you're right. Peter, once he got to a point where it wasn't that he was just struggling, but he was actively in danger and so were the people around him. Right. It, this That was past the point in which Tony should have gotten involved. Right. I mean, like you said, he came in and fixed the problem for him. Had he listened to Peter beforehand, had Happy listened to Peter beforehand, Mm -hmm. this would not, it wouldn't have gotten to that point. The whole situation would not have happened. The whole situation wouldn't have happened, or if it still happened, it would have happened differently. But yeah, so it's Peter, like you said, Peter and Tony don't learn anything when Tony just comes in and fixes everything. And I think that that's sort of the ballad of Tony Stark. He comes in and he unknowingly creates these big messes. He always, if you've noticed, he always creates his own villains. Right. He always creates his own problems. You see how Tony not only in each of his movies creates his own villains but then in far from home you see how all those little interactions have piled up to create the ultimate like group of people who are now going to take down peter parker and who knows who else and tony's not there to fix it well yeah because and he very pointedly hands his legacy over to Peter. And it's very apparent. A child. child. I'm sorry. A small child. To quote John Mulaney, I'm small and I'm poor, so you can imagine the stress I'm under. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Peter. Yes. (laughs) But no, he he leaves him the glasses. He leaves Mm -hmm. him, um, even in, wait, even dead, I'm... The hero, the Edith. <laughs> I just, I'm like, wait a minute. You had to say the acronym to remember the woman's name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember it. I was like, I, I was like, because the acronym was, I was like, oh, that's funny. And that's so Tony. Um, but it's true. Um, Tony with his, you know, he's so blinded by his privilege and his own needs that he doesn't realize mm-hmm. all the enemies he's made along the way and how many, mm-hmm. you know, people who have been hurt. Right. Either by him directly or indirectly within his company well even that weapons producer that um michael keaton plays in homecoming yes is another villain that tony created and he's so okay so the vulture specifically i actually find him really sympathetic because he's 
a guy, he's a local construction worker, and all of a mm-hmm. sudden, uh, the he had won that bid. He had the right to start construction on that. But then all of a sudden, they're coming and in. he had hustled for it. He had hustled for it. He bought new equipment for it. Right. And had all these people. And suddenly, Tony's coming in. With or the, the government. With the government to clean it all up and taking away these the the work from the locals right and not compensating them for it right this is what happens when you come in and take over and you don't help the people figure out how to navigate this new situation yeah well i mean and we've seen that before with tony before she and again i have a very big soft spot to my heart for I Tony love, Stark. I love Tony Stark. I do not want he this is to a, be a Tony bashing situation. No, no. I, I really do love Tony. I, I, there's a lot of things I admire about him. However, it is very hard for me as a, as an anti-capitalist feminist to not see him critically through that lens. Absolutely. And to see him coming in and gentrifying. Mm-hmm. And taking away, you know, coming in as a big corporation and taking away mm-hmm. business from small mom and pop uh, businesses. And during that movie, he's not even keeping his company in New York. No. He's moving out. Yeah. So thinking about it in that macro sense, wow, I'm taking the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe very seriously. But like As you should, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> but he's taking away jobs and like that and like it's all of those little slights because he is gonna be able to hire the smartest, most capable people in the Mm -hmm. world. And when you mess with people like that, it's going to end up creating a Mysterio who's going to burn your empire down. Yeah. And again, going back to that, Tony didn't even have to deal with the fallout for that. Mm -hmm. Peter had to because Peter, Peter had to because Peter is his heir apparent. And he has left so much on the shoulders of a 16 year old, 16, 17 year old. And and even Nick a Fury, wee boy. a wee lad, um, and even Nick Fury adds that. And I'm always so upset in that scene where, well, spoilers, Nick Fury, not Nick Fury. He tell you know Peter's like, I'm I'm sorry, you know, Mr. Fury, I'm just your friendly neighborhood Spider Man, and he goes, Bitch, you've been to outer space, and it's like. <laughs> This poor little kid just wants to be on his Euro trip and ask the girl that he likes to be his girlfriend. Like, mm-hmm. that's all he wants. That's all he wants. <sighs> all right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. On that note, Karina, thank you so much for digging into this topic with me. I think it is clear that you and I could talk about this topic for hours. It's true. And take the ramifications of a fictional universe very seriously. You know I always do. But I think it just goes back to show you that within fiction, there's all these things that you can learn from it. So the next time that you're watching a Marvel movie at work, just tell your boss that you're doing company research. Karina, where can people find you? You can find me online. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram at uh, Nina Blanquita. Um, You can also find me on Tumblr. Uh, If you do follow me on Tumblr, you're going to get a lot more information about me than you probably want, but oh well. (laughs) Um, And that one is Latina Incognita. And I'm also on Twitter as Mystic Femme. I love it. If you subscribe... 
Thursday's episode where Karina is going to join me to answer some listener questions. We'll hop straight into your feed and we will see you then. If you want to ask a question or share your reactions to this episode, DM me on Instagram or Twitter at thecareerqueer or email me at thecareerqueer at gmail.com. Until next time, keep navigating those rainbow waters.